Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. Recently, I've been seeing a lot of online arguing between horror fans regarding what is or what isn't a horror film, about whether or not a film is truly a horror movie or just a thriller or dark drama or fantasy. There are those who harumph and sniff about Silence of the Lambs being a thriller. Why? Because there is nothing supernatural about it? Because there are no vampires, ghosts, radioactive monsters, or body morphing monsters? How about Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer? How about the father of the slasher movie, Psycho? Not a horror film, a thriller. I say nonsense. I'm not sure why everything needs to be placed into a specific box. To me, some of the most terrifying and horrific books and movies I've consumed are set more in the real world than one inhabited by the supernatural. And some of the most exciting are the ones that mix genres. Stand By Me, based on Stephen King's novella The Body and directed by Rob Reiner, is a heartbreaking drama with a horrific event. The discovery of a dead body by a group of 12-year-old boys is chilling and true and expresses a melancholy that is based on the souls of its characters. Alien is a science fiction film, but it's also a horror movie, a monster movie at that. Horror chauvinism might make sense to a studio trying to market its film to a specific audience, but to try and limit what is or isn't a horror movie just seems childish and whiny. Let the creators of dark stories set their own limits, control their own boundaries. The storytellers with vivid and expansive imaginations need not be harnessed by the whims of the fans. It's tough enough dealing with the development process on the business end of things. We're all in this together as fans of scary stories. Let's encourage the crossbreeding of genre and hope it leads to new and scarier heights in telling tales. Our guest on this episode, Chelsea Stardust, has mixed horror and comedy, a very difficult balance to achieve in her new movie, Satanic Panic, to great effect. We'll get her on the slab to see what makes her tick after this. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been 40 years now, and Fangoria is better than ever, each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head to Fangoria.com to learn more and to, well, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15% off your subscription. That's Fangoria.com. 
promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15%. Sacrifices must be made. Fangoria's newest movie, Satanic Panic, starring Rebecca Romine and Jerry O'Connell, is now available on video on demand. Sam, a pizza delivery girl at the end of her financial rope, has to fight for her life and her tips when her last order of the night turns out to be high-society Satanists in need of a virgin sacrifice. Directed by Chelsea Stardust and written by Grady Hendrix, Birth, Movies, Death calls Satanic Panic an absolutely entertaining horror film that will satisfy any viewer's need for monsters and mayhem. See it now on VOD. And speaking of panic, Joe Russo here to tell you about Manic Panic. Because everyone knows I am the postmortem producer with the best head of hair, you should know that Manic Panic has been turning heads since 1977 with over 40 semi-permanent hair color shades ranging from after midnight blue to vampire red. Their hair colors have appeared in films including Alone in the Dark, Ultraviolet, Suicide Squad, and Vox Lux. The original alternative beauty company, Manic Panic Cosmetics, includes products you've been dying for, including their goth white foundation and virgin white press powder. Check them out online at manicpanic.com and take 20% off your order through December 31st, 2019 with the discount code THANGO. That's manicpanic.com, discount code F-A-N-G-O. So... Tell me about the transformation from Chelsea Peters to Chelsea Stardust. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> Good to start with. Yeah, that. yeah. Um, so I want to. I think that came from. It originally came from my parents. Both my parents are artists and cinephiles. And when I was about to start directing, sort of full time, or dive back into it after being an assistant for so long, I was talking to my parents about. Um, changing my name or using a stage name. And part of it was, I, I, I asked them, I'm like, if I make like weird movies, do you think I should use a stage name to like help like protect you guys? Or, and they're like, no, 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 we think you should do it because it's, it's fun and it's awesome. And like uh, tons we're of- We're proud of you. Yeah, 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 we're, yeah, we're proud of you. And so we were kind of brainstorming names and I, David Bowie is a huge influence, of, obviously. And, Another uh, rock star I interviewed back in my rock uh, journalism days. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved the idea of um, Bowie was always transforming and changing and never afraid of change and was always embracing that. And that's something I really uh, loved and admired. And so he was always looking forward and never looking back. And I thought that was really cool. And uh, obviously from dust we come, from dust we to return, there was a lot of reasons I liked Stardust. And my mom, we were, when we were brainstorming, she brought it up as well. And she's like, oh, so you, you know, you love Z you know, Ziggy Stardust, you love Bowie, you know, what about that? And I thought, well, no one's going to forget that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And um, it was also something where I felt since, uh, you know, in my first movie, there was a moment where I wasn't feeling heard. And, you know, so I thought, okay, Chelsea Stardust, and how do I take it one step further? I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to dye my hair. I need to show everyone that I'm here hmm. and want to be heard and seen. Um, and so they sort of come, the hair and the name sort of come hand in hand now. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, and I just, there were so many, you know, uh, artists that also do that. And it also keeps your 
you know, personal and professional, you're sort of two separate entities in a way right. too. It's not sort of, secret identity. But, no, no, no. But separate identity. Yeah. So it's like this one's the ego and this one's the id sort of thing in, in, right. a, in a weird way. Yeah. Well, you talk about not being heard. Why do you think uh, you are not being heard and in what way? And this uh, is as a director on a film set, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, there were just like little, there were some little, I say little, but things that were going wrong um, on set. And I and I just felt like, why, this should not be happening. Can like, you give me what an is example? Going on. Oh, yeah. For example, um, we got flipped the first day of, like, uh, let's see, the day before the first day of shooting. Um, and, and this, this is was, all that we destroy? Yeah, this is all that we destroy. And yeah. then we also had a location permit get fucked up and... Uh, we got shut down like with six hours left to our day. And this was all in the first like couple days of shooting. Wow. And that was a 15 day shoot. Wow. So I basically had to like send out an SOS to um, Blumhouse because they you know weren't aware right when this happened and uh, with the location permit. And they said, okay, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, whatever you need. Cause I said, you know, this is happening. It was just like some producerial things that were going wrong. And, uh, sure enough, there were no more problems with it, with it after right. that. But it was for me to just show that I, I'm here. I am present. I don't want anyone to make a mistake. I also had someone come up to me, um, and ask, it was a day player and asked me if, uh, they're like, Hey, are you, so you're working on this movie. Are you wardrobe? Are you hair and makeup? Oh. And I was like, no, I'm the director. Do you think this is a, a, a gender issue? <laughs> that it, maybe it could be. Yeah. Um, but then I thought I need to do something a little drastic, and uh, so then you know there's no way to miss me now. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> purple hair, which you can't yes. see on our podcast. But yes. <laughs> anyway, well, it's interesting that you are the daughter of artists, and did both your parents make their livings as artists? Uh, yeah. So my both my parents are fine artists. So my dad is a painter, and my mom is a sculptor. And my mom was also an art teacher, a high school art teacher. Oh, wow. So she was sort of the, the breadwinner. And is this in Cleveland? Yeah, this in, yeah, yeah. In, in Northeast Ohio. And middle of nowhere, like very rural. Mm. Um, I grew up in Amish country. So we were not Amish, but that's where we... And I grew up on a farm. And we had, um, instead of like cows and pigs and chickens and things, uh, we had sled dogs because I raised sled dogs until I was... 16, 17, until I went to college. Okay, let's not pass that by too quickly. <laughs> uh, let's come back to that, but keep yeah. going about the... Yeah, so um, they, because, you know, and, and then my dad was a painter full-time, um, and I grew up around the art world. So we were going to New York City every year and going to the Chelsea Arts District. I'm named after that, and ah. Jane Fonda in On Golden Pond nice. um, is where my name comes from. Uh so I just spent so much time in, and we do family vacations, and we were always always going to art galleries like all over the United States. So art is in my blood. And um, my dad went to undergrad film, went to undergrad school with David Lynch. So he went to the Pennsylvania oh. Academy, and I think David was a year ahead of him. But they were, you know, interacting. And uh, so since he was taking film courses as a minor. Uh, he was shooting on 16 millimeter. And so I grew up watching his, you know, student films. Was his fil film work also like Lynch's avant-garde-ian? Oh, yeah. It was, it was very experimental. Uh, so it was not standard nor and, narrative no, no, no. films. Nothing yeah. like that. And so was when I basically when I was born, my parents were like, we should have a video camera. We should like mm -hmm. make sure like, you know, cause, and I was an only child. They knew they only wanted one kid. So they're like, let's just, you know, have a video camera around. So that eventually inspired me to pick up the camera 
And I was, you know, making home movies with my menagerie of animals. <laughs> so I had to keep myself entertained as an only child. So, uh, and then that ended up leading me down the path of yeah. making movies until L.A. Right. So do you paint? I do not. I have no fine art skills whatsoever. My parents Great. have all that. <laughs> well, it's interesting. My father was also an art student, but he never was able to make his living doing that mm -hmm. and basically bailed out on it in order to raise his family yeah. and continue. But it was always a part of our lives, but a distant part of our lives. Yeah. So with you, it was all around you mm -hmm. yeah. and inescapable. So, and the fact that your father was a film student, did it, was that what led to you becoming a film student? You actually went to film school as well. Yeah, I think because, because he did that, but since, you know, they weren't surprised I wanted to go into the arts and right. I was obsessed with movies and both my parents are sort of cinephiles. So, you know, we'd be renting stacks of movies from the library every Friday night and for the weekend. And yeah, I think, and also seeing his student films, I was like, oh, I want to, I want to do that. And, right. uh. It almost felt like f filmmaking feels like the ultimate form of expression. So uh, I, I think I just gravitated towards it naturally. What about the filmmaking process appealed to you the most? It is such an ultimate collaboration yeah. of every different art form there is. What were the particulars of it? Was it the storytelling? Was it the imagery? Was it the just the sense of atmosphere? What was it that drew you? I think it's all of those things combined that I you know, I loved. And because I was, I think it's also because I had an obsession with movies growing up. And I made a point to, even from, from as long as I can remember, when I would watch a movie, I'd sort of pay attention. Like if I'd watch a Tim Burton movie, I would sort of notice that he was working with the same people. I was like, oh, Danny Elfman's scoring. Mm. Oh, Colleen Atwood's doing costumes. And I was keeping track of like what directors were working with, what producers and what writers. And that there were all these people, because a lot of times when people talk about a movie, it's they're always talking about the director and sometimes the writer. Mm -hmm. But it's it takes so many people to get a movie made. And and then so I was like, oh, I like this director's work. Well, I'm also going to watch this person's work and this person's work. And um, in the fine art world, it was sort of like who inspires who. So like Joseph Boys was inspired Anselm Kiefer. And so that made me, you know, look at this person's work and that person's work. So I was sort of seeing who is inspiring who. Um, and I'm a huge Hitchcock fan. That's sort mm. of what started that Night of the Living Dead and the Universal Monster movies started my love of, of horror. And my so first you were drawn to the genre early on. Oh, yeah, yeah, early and is on. That, has that always been where you wanted to be? Yeah, I think so. Um, my parents were always obsessed with Halloween. So, oh. yeah, so I think that's the movie of, or the holiday, <laughs> the holiday, yeah, the holiday. Okay. Yeah, I should specify the, ho yeah. the holiday. And they would throw a huge party every year with all their artists, friends. And um, and so it's sort of I think it started with that and like horror literature, like scary stories to tell in the dark and uh -huh. goosebumps and Benicula and like those kind of books and the cartoons. Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, mm -hmm. Sleepy Hollow. Um, and. And also because I was lived in the middle of nowhere, I couldn't trick or treat. So I never experienced that because like we're all like one of three houses of electricity. It's all Amish around us and they wow. don't celebrate Halloween. So my parents like would I'd write a letter to the Great Pumpkin and on Halloween there'd be jack-o'-lanterns that my dad had carved that would lead down to our pumpkin patch because we had an organic garden. Wow. And then 
the great pumpkin would like leave me all these like treats and toys and stuff <laughs> they're like we have to figure out something to do she can't trick or treat which all her like friends are doing in school now because um, of where you were living and the rural nature of mm-hmm. it and the amish nature of it did you have friends nearby mm-hmm. did you have friends in school because you couldn't recruit brothers and sisters you didn't <laughs> yeah. have so who was making your little movies with you um <laughs> my uh my my pets were making the movies with me. I was, I would like dress up my dogs and my cats and direct them and boss them around. Right. Um, but also friends uh, and my friends in high school um, and middle school, you know, I would, we, we basically started asking my teachers, Hey, instead of turning in a paper, can I turn in a movie? Mm. And they're like, Oh, you're going to, you want to shoot a movie? I said, yeah, can I just sh- do a short film instead of writing this report? And they're like, okay and this is like a teeny tiny public school right. and uh where we my graduating class was like 70 people and so they said yeah go ahead and so that sure. became what they expected when that that you know they're like oh you're gonna do a movie yeah. instead of turning we get it okay i that's had cool. the same experience in high school doing that where everybody was writing a paper and i had an eight millimeter camera and said i'll do a documentary about this yes and uh, it was like well in that those days in particular nobody did that right so, yeah yeah it, that's an automatic a you exactly. know <laughs> that's right? what yeah, yeah. So it's like, well, they get, and then i was you know editing on um because this was high school so i movie had just come out like the really early version of it mm. um and then my dad also encouraged me to shoot on super 8 so really? i had a super 8 camera i took uh, a class at the cleveland institute of art while i was still in high school um, with this experimental filmmaker named Robert Banks, who right. loved horror movies and like mm. further like continued my education on it. But we would shoot stuff on Super 8, and we were doing a lot of like dyeing the film and writing on it with Sharpies and making it as weird and experimental as we could. And then we had to cut and splice it all. In a very low-tech sense. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was already a digital world, but you weren't quite moving in there yet. Yeah, no. And even in college, I, you know, chose to shoot my senior thesis on, on Super 16 color film instead mm-hmm. of uh, digital. So you went widescreen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So instead of, it's like, I'd rather do that. And they're like, oh, you can use our, you know, at that time, you know, the, the, the new video cameras. The digital lab. Yeah. yeah. I was like, no, nah, I want to shoot on film. Um, and uh, yeah, but it was just, just stems from an obsession, probably just from my, my parents showing me these movies and so that part the, of my world. the appeal of the dark um, and the outre mm-hmm. uh, was often that comes from a sense of being an outsider or being lonely. But it sounds to me like it was also encouraged by parents yeah. who loved that as well. And by Robert Banks and mm-hmm. other influences that you had in film school. Was that the case? Were you a, a happy child who brought up a, a family of supportive parents in yeah. a world unto yourselves? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they encouraged make believe and they, you know, all that stuff. They were. Um, so it wasn't out of alienation then. No. This was something the opposite of what draws most people to the dark side. Yeah. I mean, you know, I will say that that I like middle school and high school was like a hor- horrible experience for me. That's good. It's yeah. good for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I was just picked on all the time and got gum put in my hair and pushed into lockers and called horrible names. So like, you were Carrie White. Yeah. Okay. And I'll tell you what, when I saw Carrie and I read the book and saw Carrie and I was like, fuck, I would do anything for these powers. What do I get? Like, um, and now, Give me a bucket of pig's blood. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, uh, but now all those friends, went, all, now all those people want to be fr- Facebook friends with me. Anyways, <laughs> um, but uh, but that was something I was used to. And, and I had my close friends who were also obsessed with, with horror movies, and we were really? sneaking movies at, 
or you know sleep I didn't watch get to watch everything at my house I had to sneak some of the R-rated stuff at my friend Sadie's house because her, <laughs> her parents like were a little more lenient but uh yeah I was like this genre is amazing I like so I was just obsessed with it for so, so long we all come to uh our career is through different paths. For me, my first real movie job was answering phones for the original Star Wars. Yeah. And for you, it was also in an assistant role. But it didn't start in the horror world. Mm-hmm. It started in the comedy world. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how that came to be. Yeah. So between like my junior and senior year of college, I had an internship out here for Heyday Films. And they were in the middle of making all the Harry Potter movies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I did that summer internship and then I went back and well, they said, are you interested in PAing on a Harry Potter movie? Like, would that interest you? I'm like, oh, no, I got to go finish my senior thesis. Well, first, tell <laughs> us about what that what that internship. Yeah. Was and what what your duties were. Yeah. So. Hey, so Haiti is located at this at this time. They were located on the WB lot. Mm-hmm. And they were next to, I think Weed Road was below them, which is Akiva Goldman, Goldsman, Goldsman's company. Mm-hmm. And then Christopher Nolan was down the hall and, and David Goyer. And they were sort of working on Batman. It was like the very early stages of Batman Begins. Um, and just teeny tiny little office. Uh, and I was just answering phones and writing coverage. And I was just trying to like listen and observe as much as I could. Um and but you know it was my first time I hadn't done any coverage in college no one taught that to me and they sort of explained what it was and I just tried to make a really good impression and well that's a high responsibility really writing coverage yeah. on scripts so that <laughs> nobody else needs to read the script unless you say you yeah. should read this this is good exactly and it's like is this is this how it works everywhere as like <laughs> that's a that's a lot of pressure I hope you know um some and some scripts were great, and some and I had read a lot of scripts in college. We had a huge film library, um, and a lot of scripts on file. So, you know, and and it's basically writing a book report. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that, so I went back, finished my senior year, did my thesis film, um, and had just gotten back home from college. What was that thesis film? Oh yeah, <laughs> so it's called Under the Bleachers. And it was sort of, at the time I made that movie, I was obsessed with, um, and I still am, but with John Waters. Mm. Um, And also I went through like a Harmony Corinne, Larry Clark phase, like most college film students do. (laughs) So I wanted to make something really weird. And I was also like influenced by... All of those had a very sexual nature Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. And uh, that particularly seemed to appeal to people of repressed families, which yours was obviously not. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, but also there was, you know, certain uh, Marcel, Marcel Duchamp was an influence for that mm-hmm. too. And so I wanted to do something really weird. It's like college is a chance to do this, to do the right. film that you'd never get to make anywhere else. Um, and all, and you know, my film professor's like, wow, this is, this is out there. This is pretty wild. Um, and, uh, so then after doing that, I get home, I'm home for like three days and I get a call from my old boss and uh, at from heyday, and she says, "I've moved companies. Uh, my assistant's leaving. Are you still moving out here?" Hmm. I was like, "Yes, I'll be there in five days." So I bought a car, I packed it up, unpacked from college, repacked for LA, moved out here, and that was in t- 2007. And I immediately started working for her. And this is like an assistant at a production company, and she was at Montecito Picture Company, which is Ivan Reitman's Ivan company. Reitman, yeah. Yep, Papa Reitman, I called him. Um, <laughs> And I had like 
yes, I had my internship experience, but a lot of times the path you usually take before getting to a production company is working in a mailroom at an agency, getting on an agent's desk, you're there for a year or two, and then you get the production company job. No, I was like thrust into it. And we weren't like, just because of the film school I went to is very film production oriented. So we didn't really learn what CAA was, what UTA uh, was, what oh. WME was, who the heads of those places were, who was running WB, who was running Paramount, none of that. So I'm rolling calls. This is when you're, you have your boss on the, on the phone and you're just connecting them with people that are on their phone sheet and you stay on the line to listen in and take notes. She'd be like, call this person. I'm like, I don't know who that is. Hmm. And so I'd look up on, we had studio system that we'd look up people, you know, their name and their company to get their number. And, but I was just, luckily she was very kind and patient and trusted me, but I was just <laughs> learning so much so quickly. You were overwhelmed. So overwhelmed. Um, but I never let them know that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was a pretty rad first job. You know, I got to go to Ivan's estate in Montecito mm -hmm. and I very much felt like it was like a little family. Got to go to Super Bowl parties and his daughter's wedding and, um, and it was, you know, this is old school comedy, Ghostbusters, Animal House, Stripes. Right, right. And so, well, you were assisting the head of the company or the people running the company, not so much on the filmmaker end. Were you on sets or you were in offices? So we were primarily in the office because they were sort of between things. Um, however, before I finished my time there... Um, they did a movie called Postgrad, hmm. and uh, Vicki Jensen directed it, and it was my first like real true set. Um, but the cast of this movie is incredible. It's Jane Lynch and Michael Keaton, wow. <laughs> and Carol Burnett, wow. uh, and Zach Guilford and Alexis Bledel. And so I remember being on set the first day, and Michael Keaton was there, and I went up to him, and I happened to have a one of my friends I went to college with. Her mom went to high school with Michael Keaton. Mm. So I was like, okay, go up to him, but don't try not to talk about Mr. Mom and Beetlejuice <laughs> and Batman. Like, try, don't, don't just try to talk about something else. Queen so and I, Silver. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so I went up and I was like, yeah, my friend's mom went to high school at the end. Just like, what? She did? Oh, I need to reconnect with her. And so oh, and wow. we ended up talking about, he said, where are you from? And I said, Ohio. And we started talking about sled dog racing because we were talking about snow, the snow belt and things like that. So... Um, but it was really cool and he was so nice. And, and then from, you know, being that a company that does old school comedy, I just happened to have a friend recommend me to be Judd Apatow's assistant right after that. The biggest name in comedy. At yeah. The time. Yeah. And, uh, I'd been at Montecito for, uh, just over a year and a half. And she said, are you interested in interviewing for this? I said, wow, I don't think I can turn down that opportunity. I, no. I, you always say yes. So um, I interviewed with Judd, and he's like, yeah, come aboard. I said, okay. And so I was with Judd for two years as one that of his That was during assistants. Funny People, right? Yeah, it was during um, Get Him to the Greek and Funny People and Bridesmaids. Oh, wow. Yeah, so those three, I was on set for all three. Right. Um, and that was an uh, intense job. I was one of four assistants, or three, one of three assistants. Um and obviously, because so much was going on then. But, you know, I just, my heart wasn't in comedy. Like, I, I love right. comedy, but it's not where I wanted to be. Well, before we move on from yeah. that, you know, when I, my first job was, was uh, working on amazing stories as a writer and story editor. Yeah. And I was on set f with 
Steven Spielberg directing, Robert Zemeckis directing, Martin Scorsese directing A Script of Mine, Joe Dante directing Script of Mine, Zemeckis and all. But what I learned on set is that you don't learn much about the filmmaking process on set. It takes place before, Mm -hmm. during, and after, and so much of it before. And the intimacies of what goes on between actor and director, if it's on set, it's usually in a corner off to the side. <laughs> yeah. So tell me the things that you learned that that you were able to bring into your work, your future work as a filmmaker that you did observe on set. Yeah, well, and this especially applies with Satanic Panic since I was really having to re- think back to my comedy days. Yeah. Um, so for funny people, you know, that's obviously very based in improv comedy and also some of it's scripted, some of it's not. But watching Judd work with the actors, especially a scene where, you know, he's throwing out different jokes for them. And it's like he's the actor's coming up with some, but he is also coming up with some. And I was so fascinated. I was like, oh, and my he was God. a stand up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was like, how does he do this? Like he's thinking about it so fast and just calling it out. And I was just totally blown away by it. And... um you know, that cast is incredible working with Adam Sandler. And I got to go through a lot of um, footage of him from when he first, like his stand up from when he was like 10 years old in his basement at home for his parents. Like I got to go through all these home videos and watching that and watching sort of his career through these home movies that obviously the movie is a lot about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And also watching Judd work with Janusz Kaminski because he shot funny people and I was geeking out about that more than anything else right I was like Adam Sandler super cool but Janusz Spielberg's guy exactly yeah yeah. exactly and um and I had just such a great time you know just observing but I was also babysitting on set so I needed to do as much as I could an assistant does everything I do everything um but one of the editors that Judd used um ended up editing Satanic Panic so You know, we were looking for a comedy editor, and I just randomly reached out. I hadn't seen him in years. His name's Mike Sale, and he just finished Central Intelligence and Skyscraper, the, those Dwayne mm-hmm. The Rock Johnson movies. <laughs> yes. And I was like, hey, are you interested in doing a movie that, you know, the, the you'll get paid, you know, for one one week of your work would be the entire budget for this movie? <laughs> uh, uh, and he said, yes. He's like, I'd love to do it. And he, he comes from... Um, all comedy, but but he's also done Northern Exposure, and he had done Freddy's Nightmares, and so <laughs> which I did one. exactly, yes. yeah. yeah. So he started out like as an assistant on those, um, and uh, uh, he worked on Garbage Pail Kids, and wow. you know, so all these like going way back, and Wonder Years, which I'm a huge fan of as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I reached out, and he said yes because I specifically wanted a comedy editor. Uh, for Satanic Panic because I feel like it's more comedy forward actually than it is horror forward. That's right. a pretty good blend. And I was like, this is someone that loves, that knows comedy in and out, but also I know loves horror and he had like every Stephen King book in his um, his uh, editing bay or editing suite at his house. I was like, you're the right person right. for this job. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk a little about horror and comedy because often horror comedies are neither funny nor scary. Mm-hmm. And... But both of them rely heavily on timing, the element of surprise, and a physical response. You know a comedy is working because people are laughing. You know a horror film is working because they're either screaming or gripping their seats or biting their nails. So the combination of the two, there's not a whole lot of philosophical difference between them in that that technical uh, side. What are some of your favorite horror comedies? 
Oh, man. So for, I mean, in general, like I love uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. That's what I've my... seen that more than any other movie. Yeah. God, it's that just... and Hard Day's Night. Yeah. Uh, uh, Beatles are my favorite band of all time. There you go. Um, but uh, yeah, Abbott and Costello, I remember my dad showed me that Dracula, Bela Lugosi's Dracula is my favorite universal monster movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the only other time Bela Lugosi played Dracula was in that was in that movie. Right. Um, and I've always loved Abbott and Costello. So seeing that I was like this is amazing and uh so that's a big one um evil dead 2 mm. uh society mm-hmm. um <laughs> so, Ryan Usna doesn't get enough props for that movie. I know yeah. and we have an homage to society at the end of satanic panic mm-hmm. too so um but also you know Sam Raimi there's a lot of stuff from evil the original evil dead which I found to be really scary when I first saw it mm-hmm. um drag me to hell I think he Sam Raimi does such a good job of blending um horror and comedy yeah it's not a standard kind of comedy Mm -mm. either it it goes so outrageously over the top that it's hilarious yeah yeah Yeah. and more modern movies jennifer's body because you have this Mm. like diablo cody's writing uh which is so quick and witty and funny and And karen kusama really knows how to do it exactly so that was probably that's probably the biggest influence tonally for satanic panic is jennifer's body Mm. Well, let's go back to that change from the world of comedy into mm-hmm. suddenly you are the biggest, you're working with the biggest name in contemporary horror films, Jason Blum. Yeah. So tell me about how that transition took place. Yeah. So when, so, you know, working for Judd for two years, I was like, oh, this just isn't for me. And he was basically said, well, good luck. I don't <laughs> understand those movies. I don't get any of that. But Godspeed, I can't help you. I don't know anyone in that space, but wow. I'm sure you'll be just fine. Um, and I just had a friend reach out to me and she said, hey, there's this guy who's looking for an assistant. I know you might be looking for a job. Um, uh, his name's Jason Blum. And I said, who is that? And I, <laughs> I look him up on IMDb and he has, um, there was like three credits. It was like Tooth Fairy, The Reader, and Paranormal Activity. Oh, there's one. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, I liked that movie. Paranormal mm-hmm. Activity was great. I like obsessively watched the trailer over and over again when it first came out. Said, yeah. So you went in in the earliest times. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so this would have been the end of 2010. So I ended up meeting with him. And we, you know, also he saw my resume. He's like, oh, she worked for Ivan Rabin. She worked for Judd Apatow. He saw I was, you know, a qualified assistant. Um, and we bonded over Hitchcock because I have an Mm. Alfred Hitchcock tattoo on my shoulder. It was the first tattoo I ever got. Mm. And, uh, we immediately started talking about Alfred Hitchcock and, Yes, um, we have mother from Psycho 4 uh, right here. Yes, exactly. Um, (laughs) and so he's like, yeah, you know, you want to, you want to give this a go? You want to try it? I said, yeah. So why don't you come to this screening I'm doing? I'm doing this little teeny screening in Sony. Why don't you bring a couple friends? I said, Okay. He said, come look at, check out what we're doing. And so I go to the screening and I bring, you know, two girlfriends with me. And it's one of those really small screening rooms. And that seats maybe like 20, 10, 10 to 15 people, mm-hmm. tiny, small one. And we sit down and it's us and Rob Zombie. Rob ah, Zombie sitting behind me. I was okay. Like, oh, this is fucking cool. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> the first guest ever on Postmortem. Oh my God. Amazing. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, and I was a fan of his music and also his movies, but. I said, well, this is cool. Um, And the movie starts, and it's this, you know, very sort of quiet at first, 
and the shot of a light and then the shot turns and then you see Insidious come up with these wild strings, like this crazy <laughs> score. And I was like, holy shit, what is this? And then, you know, movie finished and I thought, this movie is going to be a big deal. I want to be a part of this company. Mm -hmm. So I talked to him for a few minutes afterwards. He said, so what did you think? And I said, I think this movie, I think people are going to love this movie and it's really scary and it's doing some really cool stuff. And I'd been a fan of Lynn Shays. So um, I said, I, I want to be your assistant basically. He said, okay, here's a stack of 15 scripts. Take them home for, it was about to be Christmas break. I was leaving the next day, read these and you'll start in January. And that was January 2011 and Insidious came out in April. And then, of course, now Blumhouse is a household name. Yeah, but so. I watched the sort of empire grow with Insidious. And I think The Bay had just come out. I didn't work on that one, but that had just released. Um, Insidious and Sinister and Lords of Salem and The Purge. And he was just starting to dip his toes into TV with The River um, and oh, Jim yeah. and the Holograms. So he was trying other genres and The Baby Makers. But horror, once he saw what insidious and sinister were you know did um he's like yeah this is this is the company i want to be at so, so I was you there. were where you belonged yeah. yes for sure and uh and I were you able years. to be to participate in the making of the movies were you on set for these and to be able to absorb what was going on with james wan mm -hmm. and, and, and yeah barry and all these people yeah so basically Everything that they made between the top of 2011 till Whiplash went to the Oscars, so the end of 2014, I was there for, I mean, everything that was shot in L.A., I got to go to set. I got to, I mean, Insidious 2, I was on set for some of that, so I got to watch, you know, James Wan crafting a scare, you know, mm -hmm. which is pretty incredible. And, and filing away the techniques. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, like making all the mental notes. And then, you know, people coming in for meetings and telling Jason, you know, these are some directors you should know about um, and maybe work with and, you know, just trying to, because I was watching everything. He's like, was there somebody that you made a connection to that worked out that he brought in to do? Yeah, Ty West. Oh, I had great. talked to him about Ty West, who ended up doing In a Valley of Violence. Right. And, and then House of the Devil was the first thing I saw A.J. Bowen in, mm -hmm. who ended up being in Satanic Panic. Right. Um and I, you know, I was like, you should work. You should think about doing something with Eli Roth. And they ended up doing Green Inferno. Now, granted, Jason was like aware of Eli. Well, they but... also did a thing in Las Vegas together, yeah. right? Tell me a little about that. You were there when that was happening. Um, I was that the. Uh, uh, it was a live experience. The live experience. The, it, oh God, yeah, I don't think Eli I was. And Blum. Yeah, it was. I don't. I I didn't get to be a part of it. Like it didn't in last Vegas. Long. <laughs> but, but he did the Blumhouse of Horrors, which I got to yeah, be a part of, yeah. which I loved, and yeah. I was so bummed when. Like they just couldn't kind of, they couldn't really figure out how to make that work, but I thought it was super cool. Yeah. Um, but obviously now that they do like universal horror nights is mm -hmm. all the Blumhouse mazes, but I got to be on set for Purge and um, both, no, just the first one. And then Insidious, I assisted Adam Robitel on Insidious 4. That's after mm -hmm. I had left. Um, but I was very clear with Jason from the start that I said, listen, like I will be your assistant until I'm ready to take the lead and, and take, the, excuse me, take the leap and direct. Like, I, so I'll be with you until I'm ready to do that. I don't want to be a creative, creative exec. I don't want to, you know, do development. I'm not The whole point in that. was to make movies. Exactly. And he knew that. So I was super <clears throat> clear about it. And well, that's good for him too. Somebody yeah. who loves and understands the process of filmmaking. 
Yeah. And he was, you know, I was, I'm so lucky to have had such an awesome boss because, you know, I, I got, I was privy to so many things that people don't get to be a part of, you know, listening in on business deals and, right. you know, points and back end and, you know, box office bonuses, like all this stuff, again, that you don't learn in film school. Mm-hmm. So, you and know, some filmmakers never are privy to. Right. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And so that was, and anytime I had questions about something or why did you make this decision instead of doing this and hearing him explain it. And then when he was trying to do his deal with Universal, because they're not the only people that wanted to, you know, have a deal with him. So, so kind of figuring out that and, um, and sort of his, you know, dream for, for Blumhouse. And obviously that's been achieved. Yeah, um, many times over. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and just any, he, he was very smart about surrounding himself with, you know, really smart people. And obviously right, right when I was about to take, take the leap and leave, you know, he looks at me, he's like, Chelsea, you're, you're my horror guru here. Go, who, who should I hire to come in here to, to be the one to inform me on all the horror happenings? Ryan Turek. Ryan Turek. And I said, you know, Ryan from Shock Till You Drop. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I said, honestly, I think he, you know, if you're, if you're ready, I see he's produced before he's done the Scream documentary. And I, I said, you should, you should really talk to him. You know him mm-hmm. from Shock Till You Drop. And so I said, yeah, that's a good, that's a good idea. And so he ended up meeting with him and I texted Ryan. I was like, are you, in, I just put you up for something that I didn't ask you about. Is that okay? Here's a life changing job for Ryan. Yes. I was yeah. like, would you leave Shock? He's like, mm. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it was a no-brainer. And But unfortunately, we never overlapped because uh, I left at the end of 2014 and he started at the top of 2015. So right. we just missed each other. Um, but I told Jason, I'm like, you're in good hands with Ryan. Well, Jason made a misinterpreted quote about female oh. directors in the horror genre. And it may have had a little bit to do about Into the Dark and, and the next step in your career, a big step as filmmaker. Tell me how that worked out yeah yeah um oh yeah i know it's very not a messy. comfortable thing no 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 to but, talk it was a very... about, but i think it's important to get some insight into this no totally so that all was happening when i was shooting satanic panic is when that that quote happened and also you look at the article oh and... so it was it was after you'd already done after uh, but okay the thing is all that we destroy yeah all that we destroy the thing is is that there was no announcement for my movie. They didn't really announce the directors. Like, they didn't do a formal announcement for it. And so... Um, for the Into the Dark series. For the Into the Dark, like the directors, right. the directors yeah. of it. This was know. a Hulu series that's available on Hulu yes. of, of feature <laughs> films made on modest budgets by Blumhouse uh, for Hulu. Yeah, and they're, and they're all uh, like sort of holiday-based you know, right. there's one for a different. So this was made for Into the Dark, or was it picked up and became a part of this franchise? So, what ended up happening? So after I left Blumhouse and I started directing short films for Crypt TV, I was directing like a, as many as I could, um, and I've directed seven short films since since leaving Blumhouse. Some for Crypt, some not. But during that time uh, to survive, I was assisting more people. I was assisting a TV director and a commercial director because I hadn't, didn't know anything about those worlds. I wanted to know more. And I assisted Adam Robitel on Insidious 4, which was the greatest experience <laughs> ever. But, um, uh, I, meanwhile, I'm sending all these scripts to Blumhouse and I'm not a writer. I just direct. And, uh, they were scripts I was attached to, whether I developed them with friends or scripts I read that I loved. And I just asked the writer, I'm like, can I see if Blumhouse wants to make this with me? Sure. Yes. 
pass, 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 pass. Like I think I sent nine things. And then I had been working on uh, All the Way Destroy. Sean Keller and Jim Agnew, the writers, were sort of writing that with me in mind. So I was working on it with them. And I had lightly mentioned the, like pitched it to Ryan. I pitched him a log line. And Ryan said, where is that script? You're just mentioning this to me now? And he's like, that's what we want. We want to do that. So when the script was ready, I sent it to Ryan. He's like, this is the one. So we shot that movie, and that would have been January of last year, 2018. And we were in editorial, and I think the Hulu deal had like just happened. Like they just had figured out what they were doing. And I think the TV department either read the script or saw a cut of the movie. And they said, oh my gosh, can we acquire this? Because it would be perfect for a Mother's Day Mm -hmm. episode. And I was like, yes, I mean, millions of people watch Hulu. That would be awesome. I would love that. And so obviously the TV department came involved and, you know, we're giving notes and Hulu did as well. Um, But the movie was already shot. So there was so much I could do um, for their notes. But they had some really good thoughts and ideas of things they wanted to, you know, have their stamp on it, which I was totally open to. Right. So... Um, then I went to shoot Satanic Panic and while I'm on set, there's a, we're shooting the skin sealing scene, which was one of the hardest things to shoot and one of the longest days that we had. And afterwards I pull out my phone and I have all these Twitter messages. Mm -hmm. I was like, what is happening? And I, and then I see the, the, the article and I was like, oh no. What has happened? And he said exactly what? And so basically, I think he said that there weren't a lot of, I think it was, oh, there just aren't a lot of female directors or some, he just, he definitely Mm -hmm. misspoke (laughs) when I read it. I was like, oh no. But also you read the article and the reporter was saying like everything, like he couldn't remember Lee Janiak's name and they were like, oh, he brought in his assistant, then he brought in an exec, then he called someone, and then he did... And I was like, oh, you had to include all that stuff. And also Jason's (laughs) thinking about like 100 things at once. Like I know how he works, and I could just see this happening. I was like, oh, no. Um, And you weren't in that seat to correct Exactly. I couldn't whisper like, you know, I knew who it was. I knew just by the description. I'm like, oh, he means means Lee Janiak. Like, so... um, And basically like what happened was, is I... I was like, oh, no, this is. But the article was right in some ways and wrong in some ways. They have worked with women before. And um, uh, I was there when they did Catherine Hardwick's movie Plush. And uh, also Karen Moncrief did The Keeping Hours. But both of those movies were direct to video DVD. So they have Much yet- like your movie. Exactly. Yes. Much like my movie. And they have yet to theatrically release a movie directed by a woman, which is obviously changing because of the craft in Black Christmas. So that's all going to not matter anymore. But right. um, the issue was is a lot of – so the minute he said that, a lot of like AV Club and a bunch of other sites made a list of here's women Jason Blum needs to be working with. And they – women female directors exist – here they are and take a look yeah yeah. and I was included on all those lists because Uh, I think people like some of the journalists knew me but some of them I think had looked up and saw that I was his assistant had done all these short films was doing say was shooting satanic panic your second movie second movie but nobody really knew that and so you know of course 
you know, they're saying Fangoria snatched her up first and all this stuff. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. And so you'd made a movie that was a Blumhouse movie. Exactly. But, uh, but nobody knew because we hadn't announced way. it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I was like, okay, I just have to. So I ended up sending out a tweet about it. And um, the same day all this went down was also the, the premiere of Halloween. So mm. the, they, there was a video taken on the red carpet where he's talking to Variety and they're asking him, how do you respond to this? And he actually mentions me. So uh-huh. he announces the movie on this, this uh, interview, this brief, brief interview. And he says, I'm, I actually, my, my former assistant, Chelsea Stardust, I actually produced her first feature. I was like, okay. So I took that, retweeted it, and just sort of said, like, listen, not everybody knows this, but Jason made my first movie. Nobody knows because it's still being finished and we haven't announced it. And, you know, yes, they need to theatrically release something, but they are working with women, obviously, like Gigi and Sophia and, like, right. other pe- other women were doing Into the Dark. And Into um, the Dark became a great uh, vehicle to yes. release films by women uh, who maybe had not had the opportunity yet to prove themselves. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I, you know, but I said how thankful I was because without him, I wouldn't be have directed for Crypt TV. And they gave me my first movie, and Ryan helped me get Satanic Panic. And so Blumhouse helped me so much. Um, and then I did sort of a much longer. I did a longer post on on Facebook about, you know, yes, you know, they are they are working with women. We don't always know everything, and I knew there were other deals being made with Gigi hadn't been announced yet, and mm-hmm. things like that. But I said, yeah, theatrically, still hasn't happened yet, but there are some companies that aren't hiring any women, writers or directors. Right. So he just happens to get called out because he's like mm-hmm. the household name right now. And he said something. And he shouldn't have even, <laughs> oh, I could just see it. And I was like, oh, God, no, Jason, no. Like, and he and he, he just, and he even tried to clarify, he said, no, I've t- I totally misspoke. That's not what I meant. But um, too late. Yeah, yeah yeah but now of course they've sort of righted right straightened that up a little bit right. but um uh but i i try to to come to the rescue a little bit the maybe, ship has been righted yeah. the ship's been righted maybe yeah. i'll get like halloween six there you go you. <laughs> well tell me about how uh, all the uh, that we destroy came about it's a very different movie from satanic mm-hmm. panic it's very lacking in comedy, yeah. which is not a negative thing to say yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. It's an intense, dramatic, serious film. Tell me how that came about and what you were trying to do, You know what you were bringing into this. A director's personality is reflected by the director's work. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to know your how you would describe it to someone and how you approached it. Yeah, so, so Sean and Jim sort of roughly pitched me the idea. They're like, well, you know, we have this this idea about this g- female geneticist who walks in on her son murdering a girl and to protect her reputation and keep him from going to jail, she decides to clone this girl over and over again from him for him to kill as a form of therapy. I was like, what? Yes, <laughs> I would love that. And I'm a big Black Mirror fan. I oh, felt yeah. very Black Mirror to me. Yeah. And uh, I said, that's awesome. Let's talk about it and uh they you know ended up they wrote the script and i sort of gave my notes here and there but i told them i said what this is to me is um you know i sort of call it my psycho it's sort of my love letter to psycho and we need to talk about kevin because it's sort of like oh, those yeah, two that's movies a wonderful yeah Tilda. and in this black mirror world but what i also loved about it is it explores like 
the the relationship of this parent and child, but I'm always fascinated in movies and horror movies. Um, specifically with how far a mother will go for her child. Mm -hmm. And I don't have any children, so that really, that just really fascinates me. So I told them, I was like, these are the three movies I want to look at Cujo and what, like, Dee Wallace is willing to take on this rabid dog to save her child. An amazingly emotional, powerful horror film. And so I think it's, I actually think it's really underrated. I don't think enough people talk about how amazing it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Poltergeist. Mm. that Joe Beth Williams will go to another dimension for her kid. And I was on the set like, for that. I yeah, was a publicist yeah. on Poltergeist. Yeah. I mean, and is also one of my favorite movies. It's so human. <sighs> you know, the, yes. the Spielberg thing that he brings into it is the humanity. The heart, the heart. Yeah. Um, uh, and The Exorcist. Mm. So, you know, she's willing to... All very emotionally based, yes. dark places to go. Yes, and I just, The Exorcist, I wasn't... Like, yeah, what was happening to Reagan was scary and, and gross, but but her mother yeah. was so helpless and didn't know what to do. And like, the te- you know, she's putting her kid through these tests because she just doesn't know what to do. And she's just willing to entertain the idea of an exorcism if that will save her child. And I just thought that was so fascinating. And so for in All the We Destroy, I wanted to tackle nature versus nurture. I wanted to look at, okay, this woman to save her son She's going to clone these, these, this girl over and over, this woman over and over for her, for him to kill. And if she looks at it under a scientific lens, then it's not murder. So like mm. what she's doing to justify it in her mind. Repeatedly. Repeatedly, over and over yeah. again. Well, if it's science, it's baby, you know, she talks about like, hey, form a therapy. He can go to college. Like you think about um, what if, if this gets to be used in more of a widespread way, how crazy mm-hmm. that is. Um, but she's like, no, I'm justifying it to make him functional in the real world. And in the nature versus nurture of it, you know, this is, if you haven't seen the movie, you should pause right now and go watch yes. it. But please do. Yeah. yeah. Um, at the end of the movie, when he's coming out of that goo, it's sort of the question of, will this be the son she always wanted? Or is that like serial killer in his DNA? And will mm. he just keep doing the same thing again? Right. So, and that's what I wanted people to sort of think about and take away from, from Keep trying to it. start over in the hopes that you can correct something that maybe is part of nature. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Which I was always like really fascinated with. So exploring all those themes. Um, and then of course, like figuring out another thing is like the actors to cast for these roles. And I had been a huge fan of Israel Broussard, from the Happy Death Day movies, but he's never played a role like that. He's right. always like the cute best friend or the boyfriend. Right. Yeah. And, but I wanted someone like Norman Bates because you sort of can't help but like Anthony Perkins. He's so likable and so cute. And, you know, you immediately sort of put your, let your guard down a little bit. And I wanted mm-hmm. that out of Israel. So um, I don't think he had seen The Shining um, <laughs> yet, or excuse me, The Shining, excuse me. He had not seen Psycho yet. Right. And so I said, hey, you, you, you're welcome to watch it. I don't want you to mimic anything Anthony Perkins does, but I just want you to see how likable he is right. in it. And um, and he watched it. He's like, I really liked that movie. I was like, yeah, it's a fucking masterpiece. That's um, good <laughs> that he liked one of the yeah. greats. He's like, this is awesome. So, yeah. um, but honestly, like that, and I remember talking to Chris Landon, who directed uh, Happy Death Day, about it. And he's like, is his performance is so haunting and scary and just you just aren't used to seeing him like mm-hmm. that and he thought he like really dug it he's like yeah i said that's and i know even israel you know was struggling he's like i i just can't ever picture 
myself ever doing this to someone. I was like, well, that's good. You're playing right. a character, so that's okay. You know, but and it's what he has to do with Aurora Perinau, who plays Ashley, um, who I knew from Gem and the Holograms, another Blumhouse alum. <laughs> um, you know, those scenes of of him killing her and killing different iterations of her, whether she's a human or clone number four or clone number five were intense and and well they're pretty brutal yeah and i wanted to i wanted to alienate some of my audience with that i was like (laughs) i want people to see this and be like i don't know if i can watch this well you want it to hurt i want it to hurt exactly and but they took such good care of each other and we had safe words and everything like that because i definitely you know didn't want anyone to get hurt but knowing like where they what they were pulling from like if you're if your actor ever gives you insight as to like this is what i've experienced and i'm this is what i'm pulling from to get here emotionally you know, if they let you in on that as a director, from a moral standpoint, you're like, how long can I let this person live in this headspace? Mm-hmm. And what is that going to do to them when they go home? Or like for them to fully like sh- shed that or having to live through something again, that's what they're pulling from to get, you know. So it's like, okay, how many how many takes can I, you know, put uh, put this act, act, actor through? You know, I'm not pulling a Kubrick where I'm doing like 70 fucking takes <laughs> of something. Um, I also don't have time to do that, but oh, so that was, you know, Scatman Crothers told oh me about the 80 takes that Kubrick would do. He wrote a little song about it Ridiculous. and did yeah. it on my Z channel show. And yeah. Uh, but he's an auteur, Mick, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> love Kubrick. He's great. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I just you know, had to had to think about all that stuff. And Samantha Mathis, I, I've been a huge fan yeah, of hers yeah. um, for so long. So working with her was incredible. And then Frank Whaley was my first choice for that role too. Mm-hmm. So um, it was such a dream cast. And Dora Madison, I was a huge fan of Friday Night Lights as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, all these people that's whose work I had sort of watched and getting to work with them. And that was very similar in Satanic Panic too. But Destroy was, um, and that was a, you know, tough shoot. It was 15 days. Yeah. Um, but luckily I got to shoot in LA, which was awesome. And I got to go home in my own bed every day. At night. a certain budgetary point, it's worth it to stay home, which <laughs> we did on Nightmare Cinema, because then you don't have to travel anybody. You don't have to put them up, all of that stuff. Yep. So, uh, you know, it becomes practical. And yeah. here is where you have the deepest pool of talent in yeah. Los Angeles, anywhere in the world. It's here Yeah. in filmmaking. And I, yeah, I loved shooting here. I uh... now you did a hundred and eighty degree turn going into <laughs> Satanic Panic. So tell me how you prepared for that change. You are a huge horror fan. You'd had a a toe dipped into the comedy world when you were working for Judge uh, Judd Apatow. Yeah. So how did you prepare for this total change of pace? Yeah. So when I got so you know. If, friend an assistant friend had slipped me the script and I was like this is so insane and crazy and wild and I can't wait to see like who makes this and I knew I knew Ted Gagan's work because he and Grady did the story together Ted's great and Grady's books are fantastic horror store and my best friend uh, yeah my best friend's exorcism so and that's yeah yeah, that's how I knew Grady is I I um, I don't think I had seen Mohawk yet when I read Satanic Panic but written by Grady and directed by Ted exactly yeah and, but I had read my best friend's exorcism, which was one of my favorite recent, I have a horror book club and we read Stephen King. We're called the losers book club. We read Stephen <laughs> King every other month. And then the month, months in between, we read new horror or newer horror. And this mo- book is not what you expect from that title. Uh, it is and it isn't. It is and it isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and also Peter Rex from Hell and Horror Store. And um, 
And so I thought, oh my gosh, like this script's awesome. Then I went and shot All That We Destroy. And then All That We Destroy, they kind of put post-production on hold because it wasn't coming out till May of 2019. Mm-hmm. So um, I was like, okay, guess I'm going to wait around for a little bit until they want to like do finishing on the movie. Um, and then my reps reached out and they said, hey, this script came across our desk for your consideration. Satanic panic. I said, I know this script. I love yes. this script. And they said, Fangoria is involved. They're attached to it and they're interested in you. Um, we love Fangoria. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and I, th- I think Fango had done some homework. I think they had reached out to Ryan and said, you know, who, who would you recommend for this? And right. he mentioned Destroy and I think they saw it. But I just got on the phone with Dallas and Amanda at Fango and just pitched shit out of the movie i was like this is my vision and these are you know there were a couple things i wanted to change in the script and i said hopefully that's okay and i didn't know grady so i Mm -hmm. you know destroy i got to work with the writers they were on set but i wasn't sure like oh god do i give grady hendrix notes like i was really kind of like nervous about established yeah Yeah. i was like who you know and so um so i you know pitched my vision and then i ended up going home for a little bit uh, I was like right leading into like 4th of July or something. And while I was home, uh, uh, I reached out to Adam Goldworm, who I knew from my internship days. And and Adam um, reps Grady. And so I said, hey, Adam, like, I, you know, anything I can do. And so I sent... Um, I said, let me let me send you some more stuff to forward to Fango because I don't think I had Dallas or Amanda's email at that mm-hmm. point. So I wrote up a huge email um, and I pulled stills from Jennifer's body and dragged me to hell and sort of showed what I wanted my vision, the tone of the movie to be. And I pulled song references and I did this huge pitch packet and I had my DP read it and we talked about, you know, mm-hmm. references and, you know, we're like, we want to use a lot of the 50 millimeter, the, Do- the Donnie Sutherland lens, I call it. Like, <laughs> you know, you know, I just pitched my vision and, and even in, in more depth and he forwarded it along and then they ended, I got back from, to LA from vacation and they said, the job is yours. And we immediately started casting. No downtime. Wow. They like got the deal done in less than a week, which never happens, but. Right. Um, Great cast. Yeah, I love that cast. I'm so lucky. It's like uh, embarrassment of riches, pun intended. But yes. um, yeah, and and like there's Blumhouse alum with Ruby Modine, another one, and and she was the first one I cast. And Haley Griffith was off a self tape, which is crazy because hmm. she's in New York, and a lot of producers won't let you cast someone who hasn't done at least one or two features. She had right. done none, yeah. and I was really happy I got to be the the one to give her that chance. Um, and she killed it. She crushed it, right? Yeah. Like, so, did such a good job. But the and, movie is funny, yeah. and uh, horror comedies rarely are. And yeah. comedy that's not funny is just painful and embarrassing. Oh, it, it's, yeah, it just hurts. But and, the timing <laughs> and the editing and the performances and just the interaction works so well for someone who's really doing comedy for the first time. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I... I uh, you know, and it's, it's a lot of it's it's a mix of like Grady Hendrix's words, and I also like worked met all like I break down the script, and I had worked a bunch with Grady on everything, and we talked through each scene. I was like, okay, this is what's on the page, but I want to talk about what you know. Let's go a little bit deeper, and let's, what does what does this really mean? And really digging into Sam's backstory and Judy's backstory, and um, so then I went to the actors and 
you know, said, this is everything. Because we had 18 days to shoot Satanic Panic. Mm-hmm. It was three six-day weeks. Wow. And two of which were night shoots. So I didn't, I knew we weren't going to have a lot of time on set to like work, workshop scenes. And so uh, I had to just talk to everybody ahead of time. And we did a couple, I got to do a rehearsal with uh, Sam and Judy, with Ruby and Haley, um, you know, in their hotel room for the skin sealing scene. Because oh, I yeah. said, this one, I really want to talk through what's going on, you know, so you both know. And, and then, you know, I wanted the actors to just, once they knew my intentions for everything, then we get on set and it's just little adjustments here and there. And honestly, like they kind of made my job easy because Rebecca's done comedy, Jerry's done comedy, Arden's right. done comedy, Ruby and Rebecca has. and Jerry are married. Yep. <laughs> yes. And they're married that in real helps. life. Yeah. And then, you know, their scene, I only had one day, one day, I think on set. Jerry O'Connell. With Jerry. And yeah. With Jerry Rebecca O'Connell. Rebecca Romaine. Yeah, and though Jerry was on set a lot because they were just I don't I don't know if he was working on anything at the time, so he was just sort of hanging out with right. Rebecca. He's like, Yeah, we might as well hang out together. Um and that scene was really fun and to watch <laughs> yes. them sort of work together and of course the the scene of the the throat fisting as Jerry calls it was yeah, really there fun. You go. Yeah. And nothing <laughs> and Rebecca hadn't done gore, she hadn't done horror before or gore. And I remember when I was Skyping with her um, she was saying she loved Fangoria. She loves horror. She's like, I would rent everything. She talked about it at the Q&A that she'd rent everything on the wall in the horror section. And and so I was so excited to be the first time, you know, yeah. doing gore and, and horror. Well, and this is a big movie for practical effects. Oh, yeah. The horror fans love practical effects. And so do the actors because you're interacting with something rather than a green tennis ball on a stick. Yep, exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. And I think it really can can heighten their performance. There's a lot more they can do with that. And yeah, well, there's so many practical effects and, you know, with, in 18 days, yeah, 18 <laughs> days. And it's not easy. Like, and everything, you know, you're, it takes time and shooting it and making sure like practical effects are the Fango brand and making oh, sure. Oh, and take two and three. Dude. Uh, kill me now. Yeah. <laughs> I know. No, yeah. exactly. So, but, and, and then the, the team having to make things that you've never seen before, mm-hmm. like the soul sack, the soul bake, <laughs> we would call it on set. Yeah. That and the, the tree, which. This so for me, Satanic Panic is my homage to Wizard of Oz. There's a lot of connections to Wizard of Oz in the movie. Um, the tree being one of them, and Haley wears red Converse, and she's going uh. into this another world, another world, and she meets her scarecrow, who's Judy, and Danica's the Wicked Witch of the West, and the bunny is Toto, and <laughs> all she wants to do is go home. And there's a the fussy lot. bunny. Yeah, yeah. Um, I could write a dissertation about that in Wizard of Oz, but um, but the actors, I mean, and then having horror you know royalty quote unquote obviously jerry's done horror before but sure. aj and jeff daniel phillips and jordan ladd and um and clark wolf and whitney moore who are in the horror community so um and getting just to work with all these people who i'd seen before and then you know working together with them and having jerry o'connell introduce me to his friend as hey guys come meet my boss come meet my <laughs> boss chelsea stardust i was like that's, that's me pretty, yeah. <laughs> well What's next? I mean, we've talked for an hour and yeah. it's gone by like lightning. Oh my goodness, so, yeah. So we need to wrap it up a little and I'd love to know what's next in store for you. Yeah, uh, great question. So, um, well, so we start with a great one and we end with a great one, right? Yes, right, <laughs> okay. right, right. So, um, we've, uh, Satanic Panics obviously comes out September 6th, theatrical, digital HD, VOD. And as the director, you're kind of with the movie until everything's out. So we'll have the Blu-ray come out. Um, there's talks of vinyl. There's talks of a fun VHS. There's, you know, <laughs> so we'll see what what comes out. But um, so I'm basically with that. We're still doing a ton of festivals. Um, 
I think we have eight or 10 more to go, even in some into 2020 that are in Europe. Um, And so now my reps are getting a lot of just starting to get, you know, submissions for open directing assignments. There's a couple of things I'm chasing. I'm trying to get the rights to a couple of things. Um, but, uh, I am attached to a movie that we're just starting casting, which I can tell you about offline, but, um, <laughs> okay. there, cause there's no announcement yet. And I'm, I'm attached to a couple different things that obviously in LA you, you're in Hollywood, you're trying, you have multiple eggs in multiple baskets because right. you never know what's going to happen first. So always have a lot of things going on. Um, and well, you're uh, ready we'll to see. make an omelet. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us on Postmortem and look forward to the next thing uh, on your skillet. Thank you so much for having me. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's at Mick Garris PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, mickgarrisinterviews.com. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes. Calling on coffee drinkers. If you've been trying to enhance your daily coffee routine, then Quest has got your back with their brand new iced coffees. Now available in two delightfully delicious flavors that'll be sure to add an extra pep in your step. Vanilla latte and mocha latte. Quest has been on a mission to help fuel you with protein-forward foods you'll love. Each bottle of Quest iced coffee is packed with 200 milligrams of caffeine, the same amount as two cups of regular coffee, plus 10 grams of protein per serving to help you supercharge your day. And did I mention that they only contain one gram of sugar? It might just be time to cheat on your iced coffee with iced coffee. Find Quest iced coffees on Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition. That's Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition.